Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. This message is from the series Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and was preached on December 18th, 2022. We're going through the Gospel of Luke, and honestly, I thought about doing something different during the Christmas season, but you really don't get much more appropriate during a celebration of the birth of Jesus than to read, study, and understand one of Jesus' parables called the prodigal son. It and the Good Samaritan are probably the two best known of all of Jesus' parables, and the prodigal has been used as the basis of dozens of movies, plays, short stories, novels, songs, and maybe more sermons than any other passage in the Bible with the possible exception of John 3.16. The prodigal son has been called, and rightfully so, the gospel within the gospel because it introduces the character of God, how much he loves us, and what he wants from us. So it's a beautiful parable. But to properly understand it or any passage of Scripture, you need to know the context. So let me take you back to last week, because this is one of three parables that Jesus used to answer a complaint from the Pharisees. They complained about Jesus, that he welcomes sinners and even eats with them. And so to explain to the Pharisees and all of us why Jesus loves sinners, hangs out with sinners, befriends sinners, he gave three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and this one, the parable of the lost son, or better known as the prodigal son. So remember what Jesus is doing as we read this. He is explaining to the Pharisees and us This is why I love, befriend, and hang out with sinners. And he's trying to teach the Pharisees, and he's trying to teach us that this is what Jesus does. This is what his people do. So make sure you understand the context, and then the parable will make even more sense. So let's stand together as we read this parable. It's in Luke chapter 5, verses 11 through 32. And After telling the first two parables, this is how it reads. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his census, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he is in back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You may be seated. That is indeed a great story. And like all of Jesus's parables, it's simple, it's powerful, and it's something that we can all relate to. Because a good parent loves his children, wants the best for his children, and welcomes them back no matter what they've done. It's who parents are. It's who Christians are to any other human being. It's what we do. We love people and we welcome them when they return, or at least that's what we should do. But I want to make sure you understand the parable. So we're going to point out who each of the three characters in the parable represents, the father, the older son, and the prodigal. And I really do want you to understand it. So understand that the father represents God. He is a picture to us of God. He loves unconditionally and he forgives completely. Now understand the story. He didn't have to at this point in his life give the younger son any share of his estate, but he did it anyway. And when the son left, the father mourned and watched for his return. And when the son finally did return, he showered him with gifts clothes, sandals, jewelry, and he threw a great celebration in his honor. There was no hint of retribution. There was no expectation of repayment. There was no suggestion of a grudge, no request for an explanation, just a deep joy that my son who was gone is back. Notice that the father really loved the older son as well. And he went out and he played with him. Hey, come in. Enjoy the party. Your brother is back. He didn't ignore the older brother. But he celebrated the return of the lost one. And he loved the older righteous brother as well. That's who God is. I wish I could explain it better. God loves all people and welcomes anyone who returns to him no matter their sin the length of time they've been away, the things they've thought or said, or the hurt that they've caused. 
Note that the father didn't even want to hear the prepared speech because a prodigal came back. Hey, make me like one of your servants. He never even got to that because the father just interrupted him and started showering him with love. Didn't even ask, hey, what happened to that ring? Oh, never mind, get, the, get him a new ring. Get him some new clothes. Kill the fattened calf. We were saving that for a party. This is the time to party. God loves. And that's the very nature of God. All people, especially those who have sinned and rebelled against him. So in the story, the father represents God. The older son represents the Pharisees. This is who Jesus was answering, remember. They were angry at Jesus, fearful that he was compromising the faith by showing love to sinners. They were bitter that the crowd would turn to Jesus instead of them and jealous of all the attention that Jesus was getting. And even though that they believed in theory, at least in love, they came across as hateful. But Jesus still loved them. Now, I want you to think about, because I want you to understand before we just put him down, understand the older brother's jealousy. Here's what he said. All these years, I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friend. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you've killed the fattened calf for him. I've worked hard. I've done everything you asked me to do. And you never celebrated me. That was the jealousy of the Pharisees. And sometimes the jealousy of even long-term believers today. Some years ago, we had a series of messages in our church in which we shared the personal stories, the testimonies of people in our congregation. And you know the type, because you've been in these services, you know the type of testimonies that get the most attention. Ex-cons, ex-druggies, ex-atheists. And a man on the way out one Sunday said, hey, what about me? I came to Christ when I was a young boy, and I've tried to follow him ever since. Why didn't anybody celebrate my story? And that's where the Pharisees were. We tried hard to follow God from the very beginning. We, we celebrate and we follow his laws. What about us? They tried hard to be blameless in the eyes of God, but since they didn't understand love, they didn't understand the excitement of the Father in welcoming the prodigal back. And listen, that's, that's one of the dangers of the church today, that we will spend so much time and energy proclaiming God's truth and the right kind of morality and the right kind of standards that we forget God's love for sinners. That's where the Pharisees were. That's where the older brother was. Hey, let's just celebrate. He was lost and he's back. But all he could do was, what about me? What about me? What about me? And so this is who Jesus was talking to. Pharisees, you're lacking like the older brother. You need to learn to rejoice. You need to learn to love 
as God loves. And then the prodigal himself, the younger brother, he represents what God wants from us. He is a sinner who repents and returns to the Father. Now, listen, since this is what God wants from all of us, repentance, I'm going to walk you through the four steps of repentance I see in the prodigal here. Because this is what we all need to do in one form or fashion when we come to faith in God. It's also what we need to do when we get to a point in our life where God points out a bad habit that we need to change. We go through the process of repentance. And I want you to understand what it is. Because these steps will help you no matter where you are in life. Unless you've already achieved perfection. Anybody here? Matt, I'm ignoring that hand. Because I've talked to your wife and she does not agree with you at all. All of us have issues, challenges, things that we need to change in order to be more like Jesus. And to get there, we go through the process of repentance. And I want you to see this in the life of the prodigal because he really did four things. The first thing that he did was he acknowledged his situation. And he came to the point where he was willing to say, in essence, my life stinks. Now, at first, he enjoyed his freedom. He traveled, something he'd never been able to do because he was stuck at home working on dad's farm. He spent freely, but he was irresponsible and wasteful. Maybe the older brother was right. We don't know. Older brother said that he spent it on prostitutes, but certainly he wasted all his money. And then when a famine came, he took a job feeding pigs which for a Jew was the lowest of the low because they didn't eat pork. But he didn't even make enough money in this job to overcome his hunger. And he finally had to come, the Bible says, he came to his senses and he acknowledged the truth. There's something wrong here. My life stinks. Even my father's servants, who I never really thought about, because I was a son and they were slaves almost. Even my father's servants are better off than I am. Even these pigs have it better than me. Because they get to eat all they want. And I'm starving to death. Real change occurs on any level. When you recognize and acknowledge the situation. There's something wrong here. There's something wrong with my life. My life stinks. Now I want to warn you about that. That's where change begins. But if you just stop there and don't do anything that, that, that the son did next, if you just stop at that point and say, my life stinks, that can lead to moodiness, depression, even suicide. But if you're honest with yourself and you follow the next steps, it begins the process of change. My life stinks is not a good place to be, but it's a good place to start. A friend of mine, he really wasn't a friend at first, came to that point in his life. 
His children had come to, he had two children. They had come to our church's vacation Bible school. And we began to do a little follow-up with them because they were really interested in the gospel and wanted to hear about Jesus. And so we invited the parents to come and mom started coming to church. And all three of them, mom and the two kids, became believers in Jesus and were baptized. Dad never showed. We went to his house to visit him. His name was Alan. And I can remember real clearly how rude he was when I knocked on the door. I believe he knew I was coming because I'd set them up with his wife and kids. And I knocked on the door and he answered with a beer in his hand. And I said, hi, I'm Pastor Jack. He didn't say a word. He just turned around, walked away and said, Beverly, it's for you. And I never saw him again, at least that day. I found out later what was going on in his life. Because about two weeks later, he hit that rock bottom. Out in his back place, he had a big piece of land. He was manufacturing meth. He was caught. He was guilty. He was facing 10 years. His wife, who really didn't want to do it, but ended up helping him by going to the store and getting ice and bringing it to him when he was working, was facing three years. His kids began to hate him because they were looking at, for the rest of our grow-up years, mom and dad are going to be in prison, and we're going to have to go live with people we don't even really know. And he got to that point where he just honestly told me, my life stinks, I've been stupid. That was a dangerous place to be, and I was worried about him because I was really afraid that he was going to commit suicide. But he did what the prodigal did. He went through the next steps. And step number two, and you see this in the life of the prodigal, and I saw it in the life of Alan, was he accepted responsibility. He didn't blame others. He began to accept responsibility for himself. Now, understand, the prodigal could have blamed others. He could blame his boss for not paying him a living wage. He could blame his older brother. He never has liked me. He could blame his dad and saying, you know, dad gave me all work and no fun. But instead of blaming others, he accepted responsibility and he admitted to himself that he had done wrong. If he had a pity party, it was short-lived. If he was ready to quit, it didn't last long. He accepted responsibility and was willing to say to himself, I've sinned. Now now listen, because I want you to make sure you get this right. Not all the hardships in your life are your fault. You didn't choose your family. You were born into it. It may have been a great blessing or a burden. You didn't choose your birthplace. I think I have been tremendously blessed by being born as a United States citizen. Certain characteristics of yours are out of your control. If you're short or tall, you had nothing to do with that. If you're ordinary looking or very handsome, you had very little to do with that. Not everything is our fault or to our credit, but all of us have those issues in our life that we need to be willing to say, I did that. I dug that hole. That was my mistake, my sin. I was wrong. And the prodigal did that. He acknowledged his situation. My life stinks. 
He accepted responsibility. I have sinned. And then he publicly admitted his sin to the Father. He said, Dad, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He he didn't just admit it to himself. He said it to God. He went beyond the pity party. And he said, I have sinned against you. I blew it. I was wrong. Most of us have trouble with that. We're very good at saying, he's wrong, she's wrong, they're wrong. Real change, part of real repentance, comes when we're willing to say to God, I am wrong. We call it confession. But there comes a time in your life, if you're going to be a believer, there comes a time in your life, if you're going to make progress over whatever issues and habits you have, in which you need to be willing to say, God, I blew it. I Not him, not her. I did wrong. He publicly admitted his sin to his father. And then he acted. He didn't just stay there feeding the pigs. He accepted his responsibility. This is my fault. He admitted to God, I have sinned. And then he got up. And he went back to his father. I've known too many people who kind of sit right at that edge. My life stinks. It's at least partially my fault. God, I'm sorry. And they get stuck in that stage. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. I'm a bum. God, I'm sorry. But they never get up and do what God leads them to do. And he did. He got up. His change of heart and his repentance led him to real action. Quit his job feeding the pigs, went back to his father, willing to face whatever his dad was going to give him. There's a reason why oftentimes in church, when you're ready to make a decision for Jesus, we do the old-fashioned invitation thing. You know, get up, walk forward. That action is putting what's in your heart to your hands and to your feet and to your mouth. There's a reason why John the Baptist, after preaching repentance, called out to the people, come forward and be baptized as a public act of repentance. Because too many people just kind of sit there in that stage. I'm wrong, I blew it, I'm sorry. I'm wrong, I blew it, I'm sorry. And they never follow through with the things God leads them to do. He didn't stay with the pigs. He got up and he did something. And those four things compromise full repentance. He acknowledged that there's something wrong. My life is not good right now. He accepted responsibility. This is my fault. I can't blame it on anybody else. He admitted it to God. And then he got up and he went back to God. So understand what Jesus is teaching With this parable, two things. Number one, God does not give up on anyone. I can confidently tell you that there is no one in this room that God has given up on. 
all of you, no matter your issues, no matter how much your life stinks, no matter how good or bad you've been, all of you are loved by God and can do what God has called you to do and return to him and find a life worth living. It's been one of the joys of my ministry to see ex-cons, ex-druggies, ex-thieves, ex-atheists, ex-sun devils. <laughs> Did I put that in my sermon? Turned their lives around. God doesn't give up on anyone. Anyone. And so, God's people shouldn't give up on anyone. That's what Jesus was teaching the Pharisees with these parables. Listen, their love for the law, their love for the Bible was admirable. But he was teaching them, now match it with a love of people. And don't give up of, on anyone with any faith or any morality, no matter what they've done. The road to God is always open. And people need to know that the door to the church is equally open to all people. Sometimes we do such a good job of preaching morality and standards and truth that we make people feel like, I wouldn't be welcome there. I, I, I'm gay. I'm lost. I don't share their faith, their morality, their politics. And they're afraid that the door to the church would be closed to them. We need to learn to be like Jesus, who loves all people, and make sure that all people know the door to the church is open to all. That's not saying sin is okay. That's just saying we love all people, especially sinners, because that's where we all come from. And that's what we've all been. God doesn't give up on anyone, and God's people shouldn't give up on anyone. So what am I asking you to do today? Two things. Number one, turn to God in full repentance. I mean, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, then that's where it starts. You go through the process. You acknowledge your situation. You accept responsibility. You admit your sin, and then you act. I acknowledge, God, that I've sinned. I've messed up. I accept that it's my fault. I'm not blaming my wife, my kids, my parents, my country, the laws, anything else. It's me that needs you. And I'll admit this to you. And I'll follow through by letting the world know I'm a believer and a follower of Jesus. I'll be baptized. I'll join a church. I'll jump in. I'll serve. I'll do things right in my family. I'll start doing things right with my money. I'll start doing everything that I know you've taught me to do. I'm not just going to believe it in my heart and say it in my heart. I'm going to act. And that's true for any of us, even those of us like me who are long-term believers. I still have some issues. I still have some challenges. I still have some habits that should be broken. And so I go through that process. And God changes me. And he'll do the same to you. So I'm asking all of you to turn to God in full repentance. And then treat others as the father did the prodigal. Everybody's welcome. 
Yeah, if there's sin, we'll, we'll, we'll help you deal with it. God can forgive anyone. If you don't know what's right, we'll, we'll, we'll teach you what's right. But we're going to start with that truth. You are loved and you are welcome. The Pharisees had built the wall. Only honest, moral, God-fearing people like us are part of our circle. And Jesus shattered that by loving all people. And because we go by the name of Jesus, we call ourselves Christians, which means little Christs or like Christ, then we adopt his love for all people. I want you to think about those things. I want you to pray about those things. And I want you to act on those things. Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. You can find out more about our church at abcaz.net and you can find Pastor Jack's sermons on most podcast apps. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.